last week I specifically talked about just that, man, so many of us are new to Denver, and one of the things we talked about last week is that friendship is just difficult as an adult. It's just difficult as an adult, and that's part of why we did this whole series in the last six weeks talking about what does it look like to build friendships as an adult. It's not just knocking on someone's uh, door and saying, do you want to come out and play? It's a little bit different now. And so what does that look like? We spent six weeks talking about that, and you can get all that uh, online. Uh, they're each $3 to listen to, so if you could uh, do that. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you, can, you can listen to those online. And I would encourage you to do so just because it's such an, important, such an important topic. And hopefully, over the last six weeks, you've been starting to get a picture of this is kind of what community looks like. This is what it looks like. Here's what healthy community looks like. Here's what it takes to kind of make that happen. And we've been talking about some of those disciplines and practices of here's kind of what has to go into it. Here's what it takes to create the kind of community that we hope for, the kind of community that we long for. Here's, here's what it takes. And so hopefully you're starting to get a picture of what that is. And tonight, just to kind of wrap us, wrap us up, um, I'm struggling here, guys. Maybe you can uh, move it to the next one for me. So tonight we're talking about this, just as we kind of wrap up, is what does healthy community actually look like. And if you think about this, maybe you start to put together all the different um, thoughts and pictures that we've talked about over the last six weeks of what a healthy community actually looks like. And if you think about Christian community, what does a healthy Christian community look like? Or what does a community look like? Just envision in your head some of the stuff that we've talked about. And if you go on to Google Images and you type in community, um, this is what comes up. I think I'm going to need your help tonight, guys. So this is, um, this is what community, just the image of community looks like. If you just put in community in Google Images, this is usually the, the top thing that, that comes up. Or if you type in fellowship, which is a little bit more of a, a Christian word, it's kind of funny. It's the op- Christians, I guess, have their hands down. Other people have their hands up. So if you type in fellowship, this is uh, you know, what Christian community looks like, a very similar image. Or even if you think about Jesus... And his disciples, this is the Last Supper, and some of them uh, kind of show a similar picture of kind of around the table, but it's uh, harder to have a, a 3D painting, I guess, back when da Vinci was doing this. And so it's all of them kind of in this grouping together. And if you think about the question of what does healthy community look like, if you think about that question, what does healthy community look like? Usually it's something in those pictures that we start to think about. We think about certain qualities that we've talked about in our time. We've talked about encouragement and graciousness in conflict. And we've talked about being vulnerable with one another. And we've talked about all these different kind of elements. And usually, if we think about community, if you think about a healthy community, we think about kind of qualities happening within a group of people, right? Think about good qualities that are happening within a circle of friends, good qualities and good attributes that are happening within a circle of friends. And we even use that language of a a circle of friends. But healthy Christian community is different than that. There's something more to it. There's something unique to healthy Christian community that we haven't really talked about yet. It's not just the qualities within a certain group of friends. There's something more, something that is unique that's different and probably the most difficult of all the things that we have talked about. See, let's go back to, and and not, not the picture, I'm just saying this in our heads. Let's go back to thinking about Jesus. 
go back to Jesus and his group of friends. See, imagine that you actually got to be friends with Jesus. You got to be friends with Jesus, and you, you know, he had 12 um, disciples that were kind of the inner circle. He had more than that that were kind of on the, you know, larger group of people, 72, and a little bit bigger than that, a couple hundred. But he had 12 that were in kind of his inner, inner circle, right? And a lot of times in churches, there's community groups and small groups and things like that that are around that same size, 12 to 15, 20 people maybe. So imagine you were with Jesus. Imagine you were in his community group and you, you got to have dinner with Jesus and you got to hang out with him and, and you got to, you, I mean, all the different things in this circle of friends you got from Jesus. So you got encouragement from Jesus and you had an issue. Maybe you showed up and, you know, people didn't bring food. They didn't sign up on the community group sign up. And Jesus is like, it's okay, guys. Boom. And everyone had food. And you're like, oh, I'm allergic to this. And he says, it's okay. Boom. Healed you. And they're like, oh, I mean, just, it would be great. I mean, in, in any conflict, Jesus just settles the dispute. And you don't have to wonder who's right. And, and no one even opens the Bible. Sometimes we do like Bible study in groups. And like, well, I think it means, what do you think it means? And Jesus is like, no, that's not what it means. I'll tell you what it means. I mean, imagine, you actually got to, I mean, so here's the thing, right? We long for community. We long for the best community. Jesus' disciples found it. They actually got it. They had, I mean, they had the best that it could be. Jesus led a group of them. They had the best it could be. But it didn't stop there. What happened? Jesus broke it up. He had this great community that he formed. Finally, all the stuff that you and I would long for, he put this great community together, and then he broke it up. He put this great community, he bonded them together, and then he said, now I'm actually going to send you out. And you're going to leave. You're actually going to go into all the world. You're going to go into different places. He formed the community that you and I long for, and then he broke it up. And then it wasn't even just that, because then they began to form communities. They began to form communities, and then those broke up. You see, you read in Acts, and, and this is one of the... the um, this is one of the sections in Acts. I think we looked at this earlier in one of, the, one of the sermons that we talked about. But this is one of the great pictures of community that people think about when they open the Bible. And if you have some church experience, you've probably looked at this verse. And, and here's what it says. It says, they, so 3,000 people become Christians in, in one day. It's this amazing thing, and it's awesome, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers. So they're eating together, and they're praying together, and they're hanging out together. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. So they're sharing everything together. It says nobody had needs, and they sold whatever. People would sell their stuff to go, man, this person has a need, let's sell it. And there's awe, and there's eating, and there's hanging out. And it's, man, we go, this is amazing. But then what happened? Well, the very next, the very next verse says this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now that sounds cool, right? Because, oh man, day by day people, but for those of you that are parents, what if day by day a new kid was added to your family? Wouldn't that be a little challenging? Some of you have gone from one to two, and you had nine months, you know, to figure it out. But what about day by day? And what about for those of you that are in community groups or have been in the past, 
What happens if you start to actually form something really tight and really awesome and there's encouragement and there's graciousness and there's, and then somebody new comes and then somebody new comes and then somebody new comes and then somebody new. And what about in a church? I mean, many of you are new here and many churches don't even like new people to come because you're sitting in my seat or, you know, all it's because day by day, new people coming might sound exciting, but it's actually really difficult. See, when you talk about what makes a healthy community, you talk about what makes a healthy community, Christian community is different. Christian community is different from other communities because other communities, when you talk about what's a healthy community, it's envisioned as a circle. It's a closed circle with qualities inside of it and borders on the outside. You put in community into Google, people in circles come in. You put in fellowship into Google, People in circles come in. You think about a circle of friends, a circle. It's closed. You think about even the, fr- the show Friends, right? I was thinking about this. No new character ever got added, right? There would have been an uproar. There would have been a revolt. It's like, hi, I'm Jeff. And people would be like, Jeff, get off the show, you know? No one would have kept watching it. Like, this is called Friends. That means it's just us. But Christianity, healthy community, was different. Healthy community Healthy community was always this inclusiveness. It was this open circle. This is how a sociologist that studied the rise of Christianity said it. He says this, talking about how did Christianity actually get started? What happened? And he says, Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships, able to cope with many urgent problems, to cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fire, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. Here's what he says. Here's what he says about what healthy community looks like and how Christianity even got started. It was always this place that in the middle of chaos, whether that was national, uh, natural disasters or whether that was um, in, in poverty or whether that was simply new people showing up and people without family and strangers, what Christianity provided was a whole new community, a whole new culture that people could belong to. And that's what Acts described. And that's what's described here is this day-by-day inclusivity. It's different. See, in some ways... Healthy community, from a Christian standpoint, is always unhealthy. Healthy community, from a Christian standpoint, is always unhealthy. Because you're always adding new people into it, which disrupts it, which causes tension, which causes chaos, which causes... It's, it's never just, we have formed this tight circle of friends, and we've got it. It's always this open circle, which then always creates turbulence. What does healthy community look like? It's many things, and we've talked about them. We've talked about grace, and we've talked about vulnerability, and we've talked about encouragement, and we've talked about all of these things. 
But part of what it is from a Christian standpoint is that it's open. It's inclusive. There's people being added all the time. But a question we should ask is this. Why go through the difficulty of messing with community? Because isn't it difficult, we've talked about this, isn't it difficult to form community? It is not easy to form community. It is not easy to create community. It's not something we naturally do. It is not easy. And then you work at it and you work at it and you work at it and you actually start to build it. But why mess with it then? I mean, okay, so in Acts, you see that there's people getting added day by day, and maybe early Christianity, there was people getting added day by day, but, but why go through the difficulty of messing with community when it's so hard to build in the first place? It's so hard to bring people together. It's so hard to form friendship. It's so hard to do that. Why go through the difficulty of saying, yeah, let's do that. Let's build something great, and then kind of mess with it by adding new people to it. Why go through the difficulty of messing with community. Here's what Paul says. Here's what he says to the church in Rome. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So you know, you know what he's saying here? You know the why that he gives us? That our calling as Christians, if you're a Christian, here's what Paul says our calling is. It is not just to build community, but to give it. It's not just to create community, which is everything we've been talking about. It's not just to create community, as important as that is, but it's to give it. It's never just to say, I'm building this thing, I'm creating this thing, but actually to give it to welcome other people into it. Why go through this difficulty? Why go through the difficulty of messing with the, 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 the hardness of building community? Why, why go through it? And Paul says, here's why. It's our calling to not just build something, but to give it. And why? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You know what that's saying? You know, here's the big Why? It's not just because it's our calling. Here's the why. Because God wants people in his family. And he says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You know what that says? God wants people in his family. God wants to welcome people into his family. Why go through the difficulty of messing with it? And the why is because God wants people in his family. God's heart is, man, I, I see people. I see people and and they're disconnected. I see people and they're lonely. I see people, in, as Rodney Stark was saying, that are orphans and widows and impoverished and, and lonely and new. And, and I want them in my family. And so Paul gives the call to say, welcome people just as God has welcomed you. Because God's heart is to welcome people into his family. This is why this was always at the core of Christianity. This is why it says it in Acts day by day. The, the church historian, Rodney Stark, says this is what happened. That it was always a movement and always a culture. Always, from the very beginning, a people that invited others in. That welcomed others in. That was a family that was not just building some circle. But that was open and was inclusive and was welcoming. Because they knew 
God wants people in his family. God doesn't want us to just build some, some great family, some great thing, and have people on the outside going, I wish I could get into that. It would break God's heart if we were to build some awesome community where there was encouragement and there was grace and there was love and there was vulnerability and then other people were on the outside going, I wish I could get into that. Have you ever had that experience? You saw some, something cool, some, some group of friends, I wish I could get into that. I feel that anytime I see people with a boat. I'm like, ah, oh, I just kind of want to go up and be like, guys, I'll be your friend. Like, but they're skiing and they're listening to their music and, you know, they go by. And I'm just like, come on, let me in. And they never have. They, and I'm going to send this sermon to all of them. Um, so I don't know. I doubt they would listen to it. Could you take an hour out of uh, your boating for a minute to listen to this? And I'll be over here waiting with puppy dog sad eyes. Um, <laughs> I mean, have you ever had an experience, though, where there's something that you're like, I wish I could get into that? Maybe you're even just kind of walking by, and you see some group of friends, and you're like, oh, they look so happy. Wish I could be in that, or some movie, or, or the show Friends, or something like that. Like, oh, I wish I could do that. Wish I could get into that. God doesn't want us to just build some great thing and have people on the outside going, that's so awesome that you've created community, and wish I could be a part of that. God's heart is he wants people in his family. See, Paul says, this is your calling. Why go through the difficulty of messing with this? Why? Paul says, it's your calling because God wants people, and God wants to welcome people in his family. Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So what does that mean? How has God welcomed us? Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So what does that mean? This isn't something we think about very often. Oh, I think about all, you know, Paul says, welcome each other as Christ has welcomed you. But how has God actually done that? I mean, we probably don't think about that all that often. In fact, I think, you know, tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're not sure what you believe, I think you're actually at an advantage because Christians have experienced this welcome and then we can forget about it. But if you don't even know what you believe or you're not sure, I think you're actually at an advantage because you haven't even experienced it yet. And you can experience it for the first time and hear for the first time what God's welcome is actually like. So how has God welcomed us? Let's talk about this for a moment because we need to be reminded or maybe informed to begin with. And there's three different ways that I want to show us of how God has welcomed us. And the first is this. He's welcomed us without distinction. He's welcomed us without distinction. You, you know that the better the community is, the harder it is to get into, right? Like there's elite kind of, I know there's even like a dating site that you have to pay money to get into and you have to make a certain amount of money that they don't, you have to look a certain quality of look and they don't even let you into the site versus like Craigslist. That's just, anybody can do that, right? But to get into some things, the better it is, the harder it is to get into. I mean, there's certain clubs that, man, you've got to, they're going to check you at the door. There's certain, and I'm not just talking about dance clubs, yacht clubs and golf clubs and boating clubs that I can't get into. All, all sorts of things, right? That the better it is, the harder it is to get into. Either you've got to pay a certain amount of money or you have to have some certain status or you have to know somebody. But... When God invited people into his family, 
he did it without distinction. We looked at this verse, I think, in the first uh, sermon in this series, but it's worth looking back to again. And Paul says this to the church in the city of Corinth. He says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. That's, man, if you just feel like I'm, I'm nothing, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see what that says? God doesn't say, man, to get into my thing, you've got to have a certain status. You've got to have a certain birth. You've got to have a certain degree of, look, this is good news. If you feel dumb, I, I talk to people all the time, man, I, I'm, you know, I don't know very much about the Bible. Jesus says, great, you can be in my family. You don't have any wisdom. I, I feel kind of weak. I don't feel like I can kind of live this Christian life. It's hard, and I, I feel weak, and I feel weak, and I know I'm supposed to tell myself I'm strong and look in the mirror and tell myself I can do it, but I feel weak. And Jesus says, great, you're weak. You can be in my family. And people go, man, you don't know my family, though. My family's a mess. You don't know about my parents. You know, man, they got divorced, and my dad did this to me, and my mom did this to me, and I don't even talk to this person. And, and, and you know what Paul says? You're not of noble birth. And Jesus says, you can be in my family. You see, Jesus has no distinction. Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And how has he welcomed us? Without distinction. If you feel like nothing, if you feel weak, if you feel like, if you feel the lowest of the low, if you feel like you don't have it together, Jesus says, I want you. Man, there's nothing else. like. I mean, when you think about who you want to be your friends and who you want to welcome in, does your resume for those people look like that? I want people that are weak, have bad parents, kind of stupid, kind of ugly. That's who I would like to hang out with this weekend. That, but that's the list that Jesus gives us. Jesus says, I want those people in my family. How else does God welcome us? He pursues us. And I love this. I love this. How does God welcome us? He pursues us. See, what did, what did Paul say? He said, consider, this was at the beginning of the verse we just looked at, consider your calling, brothers. And calling there doesn't mean um, like your vocation or something like that. He's saying, consider your calling, which means that God called you into his family. Consider how God went after you, Paul is saying. Consider how God called you and said, come here. You see, how has Christ welcomed us? He has not just said, hey, there's no distinction, and then hung up a sign on the door that said, all are welcome here. That's not what he did. Jesus didn't just put a sign on the door that says, all are welcome. No, you know what he did? He went out and called people. I, my brother-in-law is a recruiter for Facebook, so if you're looking for a job. And he goes after people. He calls them. He gets on the phone, and he goes, I want people on my team. I want people with talent. And he's obviously looking not for that list. I want people. I'm going to go get them. We don't just wait. They don't wait for job applications. They go and find people. That's what God did. He says he called us. He didn't just say, hey, anyone can come in. I'll, I'll pick anyone. 
No, what, what God did to welcome us is he pursued us. You know what this means? God wants you. He wants you. He calls you. He goes after you. He doesn't just sit over here and say, hey, if you're ever ready to come over here, be my guest. No, he comes and he says, I want you. I want you in my family. That's how Christ has welcomed you. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure what you believe about all this, God is doing this even now in your life. That he is calling you. He's put people in your life and he's brought you here. And most people that I talk to, when they go, how did, how did you become a Christian? They usually say something that, I don't know, something was just drawing me. Something was happening. I was feeling something and somebody came into my life at just the right time and something happened. It just They don't usually say, not always, you know what, I just decided I'm going to do this and I'm just going to do it all by myself and I didn't feel anything and there was no one in my life, but I just kind of set out to do this and it happened. Most people even describe their experience that it felt like stuff was happening, stuff was drawing, things were taking place in my life. The Bible over and over and over again says, God doesn't welcome you by just putting a welcome sign up. But he actually goes out and he says, come in. I want you. And he pursues us. And third, third is this, is that he, he welcomes us by having no distinction. He welcomes us by pursuing us. And he welcomes us deeply. Now here, here's what I mean. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He writes, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You know what this says? It says that Jesus welcomes us, not just saying, hey, there's no distinction, not just saying, hey, come on in, but he brings us in to his family. Look at, look at the language that he adopts us to himself. The verse we looked at before uh, says that we are in Christ. It uses this language of saying God goes after us and there's no distinction. But it's not just that he goes after us and, and says, hey, I want to forgive you. He wants to bring us in deeply. The heart of the good news, the gospel, the heart of it is adoption which is that God says, I want you in my family. Not just, look, forgiveness is a beautiful thing. If you've got guilt and you've got shame, Jesus forgives. But why? To bring you into his family so that every barrier is gone, so that you can be his child, so that you can be brought to himself. Jesus doesn't just want you to be forgiven. He wants you in his family. He wants to adopt you. That's, so how does he welcome us? When Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, how does he welcome us? Man, there's no distinction. He goes after us, but not just, okay, I got you, the end. He says, I want you deeply. I want you near me. I want you mine. I want to be one with you. That's a different kind of language than just, you're forgiven. Jesus wants you in his family. You, we, look, we know there's a difference between relief and adoption. 
you may, you may send a check overseas. Maybe, maybe some of you have uh, written checks to Compassion or World Vision or Invisible Children. And that's great. I'm not knocking that at all. Do it. And that helps and it gives relief. But it's a lot different than to go and say, actually, I'm bringing these people into my home now. It's a lot different to go hand out money and food to somebody that's homeless or to say, hey, I want you in my family now. There's a big difference between just relief and adoption. And what God wants, the way God welcomes us is adoption. He says, here's how I want to welcome you. Look, you have to know this. If you're somebody that doesn't know how God feels about you, isn't sure, God says, I want you right here. I want you one with me. I, and I love, I love being with new parents because they just look at their baby and they, there could be like a fire burning down around them and they can't even see it, you know? And they're just, because they've got this baby right with them. That is God's heart. He says, I want to adopt you. I want to welcome you so deep into my life. The same way that the Bible uses the language of marriage, that the church is Jesus' bride and I get the privilege of doing weddings. And I stand before a husband and a wife. And the husband, one of my favorite things is to look at the husband. And when the wife comes down the aisle, he's not playing Pokemon Go. He is looking at her. Going, yes, she's about to be one with me. She's about to be so close to me. And the Bible says, that's how Jesus feels about the church. That the church is his bride. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, I'll forgive you and anybody can come on in. He says, no, I want to be one with you. I want to adopt you. I want you to breathe close to me. That's how Christ has welcomed us in. So what, is, what does that look like then for us? What does welcoming others look like? Because Paul says, as God has welcomed you, welcome others. Paul says this, he says, look, here's what healthy Christian community is. It isn't just a circle of friends. It's an open circle. It isn't just these qualities of this great community in here that then is closed off. No, God wants to welcome people in. And Paul says, look how God has welcomed you. Welcome other people like that. So we saw how God has welcomed us. And what does that mean for what welcoming others looks like? And the word that the Bible often uses to describe this is hospitality. What does it look like for us to welcome other people in? The word the Bible often uses is hospitality, but we have to kind of have a reorientation. Because when we think about hospitality, what do we think of? We normally think of the hospitality industry, and you can go to Metro downtown and get a degree in hospitality, and I've known people that have had degrees in hospitality or work in the service industry or the hospitality industry. We think of that, or we may think of this, which is kind of these great parties and it's great hosts that has the candles and the flowers and the food and the dress. And I've never, by the way, been to a dinner where people clapped when the food came out. The closest thing is I have seen babies do that when you bring them their food. And they sometimes are like, yes, you know, Cheerios, you know, but I've never seen this happen, you know. So apparently I don't throw good enough parties, but this is what we usually think about when we think of hospitality, right? But the word in the Bible for hospitality some of you know this. We've talked about it before. The word in the Bible for hospitality is xenophilia, which means the love of strangers. That's not what these images conjure up, is it? The love of strangers? What happens if you type in stranger into Google Images? Here's the first picture. Because you were home, the strangers. 
I've never seen this movie. It looks creepy. It's starring Liv Tyler. So if you wonder where she went after Armageddon, this is it. Or another very common image is, uh, man, I keep losing this thing. Another common image is, well, go back, is, <laughs> look at all that. You, we're done with the sermon, the end. Another common image is this, something like this. This is one of the top ones that come up, but it's some kind of dark hooded figure that you can't really see who they are. Or maybe it's just a floating hoodie. I don't know. Either way, it's scary, right? If you knock on the door and a floating hoodie comes in, that would creep me out, right? Come on in for dinner. Do you clap for my food? These are str- this is what we think of when we think of strangers. The empty sleeves, <laughs> like moving together. This, this is what we think of when we think of strangers, right? Is this. It's creepy. But hospitality is the love of strangers. And it's something the church was known for from the very beginning. This is, this is what a critic of the church actually said. This is a man named Octavius, and he said this in the first century, hardly have they met when they love each other. He's like, man, they don't even, they barely even know each other and they already love each other. Indiscriminately, they call each other brother and sister. Think, man, these people, they don't even know each other and all of a sudden they're calling each other brother and sister and loving each other. That's hospitality. That's the love of strangers. Or here's how another man says it. He says this. This is a man named Alexander Strzok, and he's writing, but he's quoting uh, first century. He says this. One church is writing to another church in the year 96, and they say, Indeed, was there ever a visitor in your midst that did not approve your excellent and steadfast faith or did not proclaim the magnificent character of your hospitality? And then he says, these glowing words of praise concerning hospitality were written in AD 96 by the church in Rome to the Christians in Corinth. Corinth's magnificent display of hospitality, however, was not unique. That was something, a part of the church, that w- it was always known for this, this love of strangers. Jesus even taught this. Jesus says this. He also said to the man who had invited him, a guy invites Jesus to a dinner party, And then this seems like a little weird dinner conversation, but here's what Jesus says. Guy invites him to dinner, and then Jesus says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But isn't that what so many of us are after? I want to invite you, and then you invite me, and then I invite you. Jesus says, do not do that. But, When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. I'm sure he would add the lonely and the new and the stranger. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, the word the Bible uses of what it looks like to welcome others is hospitality. The love of strangers. The love of strangers. Or the love of those that are not in our family, that are not our friends, that are not in our circle. That's what Jesus says that we're supposed to do. That's what Paul says we're supposed to do. Why? Because we are shaped by the love that Jesus gave to us, the welcome that he gave to us. So what does our welcome look like? The word the Bible uses is hospitality. And here's some things that shape our welcome to others. Just as we looked at how God welcomes us, here's a few things. One is this. What does our hospitality look like? What does it look like to welcome others? Three things, four things. One is it starts with our heart. It starts with our heart. 
Peter says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know what Peter is saying there? That's what many of us know. It's hard. Why would he say, hey, you should show hospitality without grumbling? Because it has the tendency when you invite strangers in your life to be difficult, to be uncomfortable, to be both practically hard because you're bringing people into your life that you don't know and you don't know where they're from and it's awkward conversation and you like don't remember their name and you've already asked them 10 times and you're like, oh gosh, it's hard practically and it's just uncomfortable. It takes time, it takes money, it takes awkwardness. Peter says, show hospitality without grumbling. I'm just saying if we're not careful, we may go about showing hospitality to people and yet in our hearts have bitterness and grumblingness and, and have these feelings of, yes, okay, I'm going to obey Jesus and I'm going to do these things and I'm going to welcome other people, but that's not what God's heart is towards us. God lovingly, passionately welcomes us in. And so Peter says, look, I want you to show hospitality, but do it without grumbling. Check your heart first. That may be a word that we need to know. What is, what is our heart towards strangers? Not even just what do we actually do, but what is our heart towards strangers? What is our heart towards people that we think are strange? Is it joyful or is there grumbling? Maybe we start with just confessing and saying, Jesus, I have a grumbling heart towards people that are different from me, that are strangers to me, that are not in my friends, that are in, not in my family. May we start where Peter says and says, do it, but do it without grumbling. Look at your heart. And then second, second is just as Jesus showed no distinction to us, that we show no distinction to others. You know, if, if Jesus says, I want in my family weak people and uneducated people and poor people and everybody, then who is it that we go after? Who is it that we welcome? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You know who it is? Anybody. Everybody. That if you're a Christian, just as the Octavius guy complained about, we indiscriminately love one another. We quickly call one another brother and sister because we are bonded in Jesus, not by our affinity. So we show no distinction. And third, just as Jesus doesn't just hang up a welcome sign, but actually goes after us and pursues us. You know what Peter says to do? Peter says, or actually Paul says in Romans, seek to show hospitality. And then the writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. What does he say? He says, look, this isn't just a practice that you should do. This is something that you should seek to do, something you should pursue doing. That's different than just saying, hey, this is a good thing. If it falls on your lap, engage in it. Just as Jesus didn't just, look, if we say, I have an open home policy and we put a welcome mat out front. That's not what Jesus did to us though. Jesus said, I have a welcome mat out front. I have food inside. I'm gonna go get some people to join me. And what this says is that's how Jesus welcomed you. That's how we welcome others. We go after people. We pursue hospitality. We seek to show it. Don't we seek so many things? We seek so many things in our life. We seek work. We seek money. We seek friendships. We seek girlfriends and boyfriends. We seek all sorts of things. Peter says, seek to, Paul says, seek to show hospitality. The writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect it. 
Because our tendency is going to be to forget. That we plan for it and we prepare for it. That's what seeking means. Do we plan for it? Do we prepare for it? Do we actually seek it? Or just envision it's a good idea? That's how Jesus pursued us. And fourth, how has God welcomed us? No distinction. No distinction. He pursues us and he lets us in deeply. And we do the same to others. We let them in. We let them into our lives. I often say it like this, that our goal as a church is not to just be friendly. I love it when people say, your church is so friendly. I love our church being a friendly church. I think we're super friendly. But I don't care about that. Because there's a big difference between being friendly and giving friendship. And what Jesus did to us was not just be really friendly, but he gave us friendship. He brought us in deeply into his life. And isn't that different? Isn't it different from just a nice wave and a nice handshake and a pat on the back and actually bringing into your life deeply? That's what Jesus did to us. He said, I want you in my family. I adopt you. You can be one with me. And so what does our welcome look like? It looks like that we don't show distinction, that we do it from our heart without grumbling, that we seek it, that we pursue it, and that we let people in deeply. That we're not just friendly, but we give friendship. Look, if you're in a community group, start there. If you're in a community group, let people into your life. Don't just have a group in your house. Don't just, don't just have people that, that you spend time with once a week, but, but actually engage people. Let them into your life. That's what Jesus did to us. That's how he welcomed us. What if, what if we did all that? What if we really took seriously how Christ has welcomed us? What if that actually began to touch our hearts? And move in us? What if we actually even just took that one verse of all that we've looked at and even over all the seven weeks, what if we really just took that one verse, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you? And we reflected deeply on how he has welcomed us. And that became real to our hearts. And then we let that shape how we interacted with others, that we pursued them and we didn't care what they were like or where they were from. And we let them in deeply. We ate with them and we communed with them. Oh, they're not like me. It doesn't matter. I'm not like Jesus. We went after people and left them in our life. What if we just did that? You know what happened? A movement would happen. Because that's how the church got started to begin with. Not just this church. I'm talking about Christianity. That's how it got started. Is people saying, we are a family that includes others. So yes, look, we've been talking about this for seven weeks. Let's create a community. Let's build a community on grace and encouragement and vulnerability and deep friendship where we seek to develop friends. Let's do that, but let's not just create something. Let's give it. That is God's heart for this city. I want to show you a video that I think represents well what this looks like. My name is Curtis Cho. Um, I grew up in mostly Reno, Nevada, uh, but I was born in South Korea. 
My name's Rachel Cho. Uh, I also grew up in Reno, Nevada. So we got married in 2011, and then so we lived in Reno for about two years. Uh, I was working at the city of Sparks then, and then uh, we moved to Vegas for my new job where I'm working as a, a consultant with Del Deloitte. So the year we were in Las Vegas, it was um, really difficult because it was the first time that we had moved away from home, away from our community. Curtis was working a lot, was starting a new job, and we did our best to get plugged in into the church we were at. We love the church that we found, but because of the general transiency of Las Vegas, it was just really hard to get super plugged in to where we felt like we had relationships that were growing, and also we weren't entirely sure how long we were gonna be there. I think for me especially, it was pretty lonely. Um, and just, I just really longed for that feeling of belonging and community and just friendship in general. Part of this feeling that we were missing was that we had absolutely no community. Um, we were trying to f find people to have dinners with or hang out during the weekends and um, we just weren't having any, any luck there. My sister, Becca, and her husband, Guy, moved here the year before we did so she could start law school. So we already had family here um, when we found out we were moving to Denver. I think the first day that we moved here, uh, we came to church and we were just so welcomed and everyone knew our name. And I think at that point we decided this is going to be our home church and we didn't even try any other churches or uh, go to any of them. When we moved here, Guy had recruited like, I don't know, probably 15 people to help us move and um, they didn't, you know, they didn't know us, had no <laughs> reason really to help us um, other than just serving us in that way. Getting to see that love, the love of Jesus put into action is really unique and really um, just does something for your faith. When we moved here, Grace reached out to Rachel and got her involved in everything. And I mean, that was such a small gesture, but that meant the whole world to us. Well, and I think also just being a part of a group of people who would do anything for each other, like anything tangibly that you could do for a person, they're willing to do it. In the past, I felt like I had to put up a facade. And that was because I was very, I felt very uncomfortable showing others my struggles, um, sharing my life with them and my sins. So as I become to understand more and more about the gospel and realizing that people are broken and people are sinful, um, I realized that the saving grace we have is our faith in Jesus. And we can't do it alone. I've spiritually grown a lot. And that's exciting to me to be able to share that with Eli and our future children. He's developed community as well in addition to us, like not just his fellow kids, but like Kevin and Steve and Tyler and like just people who are willing to love on your kids for you when, you know, you just have that extra backup. It's really cool. I'd say one of the best attributes of this church is that the people here are always there for you, especially uh, during the good times and especially during the bad times. And so if someone was coming in with their own struggles, I want to tell them that you're not alone. 
some some of these people have gone through some of the worst things that you would ever want to hear. We need each other, and uh, um, that's what makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you guys uh, for being willing to share your story. And, and here's the thing. Our city is filled. Our city is filled with more and more people like that. And what is God's heart towards them? It is that he wants to welcome them into his family. But here's the thing. You do not find family. You get welcomed into it. That's the reality. That, that's what Jesus did to us. And that is what he then invites us to be a part of. To say, man, what are the other people out there? What are the other stories out there that God would say, I've welcomed you and now I want you to welcome others. I want you to love others. I want you to give what I've given to you to others. That's why we started this church to begin with. It's because God loves this city and God loves the people out there and God wants to adopt people into his family. That is God's heart and we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. Even when Rachel had shared this a, a while ago in a smaller setting, somebody that was a part of helping said, man, just to hear that, that I, was, that I got to be a part of that in some way, was encouraging to me to know, man, I get to be God's hands and feet. And that's what God invites all of us into, that God has welcomed us and he loves us and there's other people he wants to adopt into his family and we get to be a part of that. We get to bring people into God's family the same way he brought us in and the same way someone else brought us in. So as we close, as we close out tonight and as we close out this series, this is my charge to us as a church, especially for those of you that call this your church. But even if you're visiting, I invite you to this, is let us create a community. Let us build a community that we've been talking about. But let's not close a circle. But let's be people that build a great community and give it, that include people in it. Because that's what Jesus has done to us. And he did it at great cost to himself. When we take communion, we remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed. That hospitality is always expensive. And Jesus paid the ultimate price. That he died so that our sins would be removed. And that we would be made right with him so that we could be brought into his family. And enjoy life with him. And Jesus is alive today, and he still wants people to know him, and he invites us to be a part of that. So let's pray, and let's sing, and rejoice in the good God we have that has welcomed us in. Father, I thank you that you didn't have some great community and then close it off, but you invited us into your family. God, you are a father that wants to adopt and for those of us that are your children, that you've adopted into your family, God, we thank you. Let what you have done be more and more real to our hearts. Let your welcome to us be real and true in our hearts. Thank you, God, that you did not look at us with distinction, but you chose us and let us in. Thank you, God, that you didn't just put up a welcome sign, but you went after us, that you wanted us. And thank you, Father, that you that you didn't even just do those things, but that you brought us in deeply, that you actually call us children, that you actually unite yourself to us and make your home in us and fill us with your spirit and become one with us. Thank you for those truths. And help us as a community, God, to give that welcome to others. In your name, Jesus, we pray.